The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. There's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. If you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, uh, you can jot these things down. These are things you can look forward to. They're things that kind of stood out, and I think they're important to make note of. So uh, the first thing we're going to find is what Jesus does for us. There's something specific that Jesus does for us. And anytime you ever hear me say something like that, it's meant to, to provoke interest, right? I mean, Jesus does a lot of things for us, so this isn't like one absolute thing and that's all he does. Rather, this is in, in line with many things that, that Jesus brings into our lives. But it is worth noting that this is something that Jesus does, and, and his presence in our lives uh, provide this, uh, this feature that's meant to be uh, necessary and important. Um, God's not casually doing things in our lives. Everything is very intentional. And the more we know what God is doing, the more we can cooperate with it and uh, prevent resisting those works, but rather... Uh, uh, begin to work alongside them and work with them and see uh, a greater uh, result. Another thing we're going to find is what two things are needed to build a great life. I mean, that's a pretty interesting statement, right? I mean, there's not a certain, uh, there's not a person in the room who in, in any uh, certain way wouldn't want to see uh, greatness imparted into their life. And you could think of any aspect of your life, you know, uh, to see greatness within marriage and family, to see greatness uh, within the, the marketplace and in business to see greatness, uh, especially in ministry and the call on your life as a believer uh, to expand the kingdom of God. There's two things that are needed to build a great life. And when you see those things in the scripture, they can stand out as, as things that can intentionally be pursued. And when we can become intentional in pursuing the things that make a way for greatness, uh, we can intentionally introduce greatness into the elements of our life. There's a, here's another thing we're going to find. This is that third thing. And it is, uh, we're going to find out what love is not, what love isn't, right? I mean, I've preached series before on what love is, and you can probably buy books on, you know, what love is and all of these things. We're going to find out what love is not today, and we're going to, we're going to end up closing with that. And uh, when we get there, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll know where we're going with that. So as we get into the Word, we're going to start with what Jesus does for us. Uh, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're going to be finding out what Jesus does for us. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of this, uh, but you can read it there in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, what you're going to be seeing is the announcement of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, this is done by a man named John the Baptist in the Scripture. You can read uh, through the early parts of the Gospel there and find out more about John the Baptist and his role. But what's happening here is the, 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 the ministry of Jesus Christ is being launched into existence. God is fulfilling his promise to bring redemption, the, the thing that he promised to Adam, that one day one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. All of these things are coming to pass. This is a wonderful thing that's taking place. And it's described in a very interesting way. Now, as John begins to announce the coming of the Messiah, the, the coming of the ministry of Jesus Christ, everything that we celebrate as Christians, he announces it in this way. And, and I want to read it to you and just see if it sounds interesting to you as I read it. It begins in uh, verses 4 and goes through 6, I believe. And it reads like this. Uh, John is identified as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and this is what he's speaking. 
Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled in and every mountain will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough will become smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now, I mean, I remember as a young believer reading that and just finding it a little poetic. It was, I didn't really understand what was being said there. It just sounded like kind of a, uh, John maybe was a bit of a showman, you know, like step right up and see the Messiah. Every mountain brought low, every valley filled up, every crooked way made straight, step right up and see the Christ. It just seemed like that, like maybe he's just drawing a crowd, right? But he's saying something very intentional. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying these words. These are things we ought to pay very close attention to. Think about what he's talking about. He's talking about high places coming down. And he's talking about low places coming up. He's talking about things that are crooked uh, becoming straight. Basically what he's talking about is consistency. And when I think about my life and, and, and consistency or the absence of consistency, I, I see a, a lot of things that are worth noting and paying attention to. I mean, there are a lot of things in my life that seem to be high and a lot of things in my life that seem to be low. There are some things that are straight and then there's some things that are windy and crooked. There, I mean, I've examined my life and I can, I can tell you it would make a heck of a roller coaster, right? I mean, you've got highs and lows and highs and lows and lefts and rights and turns and twists. And as John is announcing the coming of Jesus, he's announcing what Jesus is going to bring. Hey, get ready for things to stabilize. Get ready for things to become consistent. The challenge up to this point has been good days and bad days. You do the things that are pleasing to God. You do the things that aren't pleasing to God. You do what's right. You do what's wrong. But get ready for something consistent and absolute to be introduced into your life. Get ready for Jesus. It's an interesting thing to consider. He's not talking about topography. He's talking about your heart. He's not talking about hills and mountains and valleys, literally. He's talking about the highs and lows and the ups and downs of our lives through the choices and the decisions that we make. And as he's speaking of Jesus coming into our life, he's speaking of all of these things being made consistent. Consistency is an interesting thing to consider and ponder. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to, to, to pray for and to introduce into your prayer life. I mean, you could take that passage by itself and begin to pray in this way. You know, Father, if Jesus brings consistency into my life, high things brought down, low things filled up, I want that. I want to be stable. I want to be consistent. If he straightens out what's crooked, then let my life be straight in every way imaginable. I want what Jesus came to bring. And this begins to make sense when you compare it to the message of Jesus Christ as he begins to, to speak to, and, and minister and preach the word of God and bring the truth into our lives to see this event take place, to see the high places come down and to see the low places filled up. He begins to speak and he shares messages like this. Uh, I told you before we were going to find the two things needed to build a great life. I want to give those to you right now. We'll find those in the scripture, in the, in the gospel of Luke. I want to look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I want to begin in verse 46. 
So when we get to this passage of Scripture, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to, to pay attention to a few things, but we're going to stop and focus on a couple of things, and I think it's important to do so. Now, I want to set it up again because I don't want us to, to lose sight of what we're looking for. We're going to find the two things needed to build a great life. I mean, that's kind of worth paying attention to, right? So Jesus is speaking, and, and anytime Jesus is speaking, I like to put myself in the position of the listener. Not just that I'm reading a book about things Jesus said once upon a time, right? But rather, Jesus is speaking this to me. He said this so that I would read it and so that I would hear it. And here's what he opens up with. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house, a man who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears these words and does not act on them is like a man who built his house on the ground, with no foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. I mean, so that's a real mouthful, okay? I mean, it's a lot to, to read or a lot to take in, but I want to stop for a second and identify some things that are being said here because I think they're very important. One, Jesus is identifying the difference between success and failure, right? One stands and one falls, when you begin to see this, you begin to see what's at stake here in this contrasting statement. One of these is successful, the other one is not. I want my life to be successful. I want your life to be successful. So we look and we begin to see what's the difference between success and failure here. And Jesus begins to identify the things that need to happen for this success. He talks about the laying of a foundation. He's identifying the things that need to take place. And as he does this, he tells us how to do that. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them is like one who has laid a foundation, dug deep and laid a foundation. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it. It had been well built. I'd like for my life to be described like that. I would love for anything in my life. I'd love for my marriage to be described as well built. I would love for my family and my relationship with my sons to be described as well-built. I would love for the, you know, the, the ministry that God has placed upon my life as well as your life to be described as well-built. I would love for everything that I've ever put my hand to to be described as something that was built well, that it was done right, that it was done in such a way that it was successful. And Jesus is describing this as something that can be uh, resistant to any shaking, and that's something that's very encouraging. One of the promises that's offered here is not the absence of any storm or the absence of resistance, but rather the ability to stand through resistance and remain successful. That's Christianity. And much of Christianity offered today is the absence of the storm itself. Come to Jesus and you'll have no problems. And the reality is Jesus said you're going to have trouble every single day. His words literally are this. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to have its own trouble. Just deal with the trouble you're facing right now. I mean, we kind of have a, a saying in the workplace, put out the fire closest to your feet. 
I mean, the world's ablaze. But if you want to survive, put out the fire that's closest to your feet. So Jesus' promise isn't the absence of trouble, but rather the ability to be built so well that we can endure the trouble, that we can successfully navigate the trouble so that we're left standing when the trouble's long gone. That's his promise. And here's what's really amazing to me. He gives two instructions. Two instructions in order to be built in such a way that we can outlast trouble. The first instruction was to hear his words. The second instruction was to act on them. If we were going to simply answer that little teaser from earlier, what are the two things needed to build a great life? That would be it. One, hear Jesus. Two, do what he says. One, hear his words. Two, make your actions line up with his instructions. That's it. Man, I can take that passage of scripture and and take that into my prayer life. Father, I want to build something great. I want to build something that can't be shaken. I want to build something that will outlast any of the outside influences that would attempt to destroy it. I want to hear your counsel, and I want to do that. Let your words ring out in my ears, not the instruction of anyone else in this world, but I want to hear your direction. I want to hear your counsel. And then I want the courage and the strength and the wisdom to do that no matter what anyone else says. What's really amazing is once you see this this simplified take on successful living, you see it throughout the scripture. I mean, you see it in the things that we right off as, you know, Bible stories, but think of a man like Noah who would be asked to go and build a boat when it hasn't rained. That's nutty. It's crazy, but yet he could hear God's direction, and then he acted on it, and he redeemed mankind. Pretty amazing. It's an extreme example, but it's a great example because it fits when we simply consider that our life is called to listen to Jesus and then do what he says and that the rest is 100% up to him. No matter what storm comes, no matter what uh, a challenge comes, no matter what difficulty rises, that's enough to be strong enough to endure. It's enough to be left standing. I want to center my life around that. I want to center my marriage around that. I want to center raising my sons around that. I want to center this church around that. I want to center everything I put my hand to around that. I want your counsel Jesus, and I want to do that. Now, here's what's interesting, is that these two steps are, are, are necessary for this success. And what's really amazing is that when you see the contrast, when you see the failure, you don't see the absence of these two steps. You really only see the absence of one of them. Now, success is hearing Jesus and doing what he says. Now, failure is hearing Jesus, which is step one, right? And then not doing it. I know a lot of believers that would be content to hear Jesus. They would just think that's, you know, the bee's knees, so to speak. But where the rubber meets the road is actually doing what he says. I mean, we've built entire universities centered around telling people what Jesus says, but are we doing what he says? Or is it just an increase of Bible IQ? 
Are we simply just stroking ourselves to gain knowledge and puff ourselves up to convince ourselves that we know what the will of God is and our actions don't even come close to lining up with it? Examining our actions is necessary to know what will be successful and what won't. Because one thing is guaranteed, that storm is coming. Now, here's something that's interesting, and this is really where we're going with this, and we're going to run out of time really fast, so I'll, I'll move quickly. The idea that Jesus describes it the way he does. He talks about success, and he talks about failure. Success comes from hearing and doing. Failure comes from hearing and not doing. And then the, the, the challenge, the resistance, is described as this torrent. I don't really use that word, torrent. I don't know the last time you used the word torrent in an, a conversation or a sentence. Probably been a while, right, if ever. So if you're kind of like me, you look at that and you think, I think I know what that is, but I'm not sure. Doesn't sound good. I don't think I would want a torrent in my life, right? You go to the dictionary and look it up. What's a torrent? Here's what it is by definition. It is a, it is a destructive, fast-moving water or fluid. Imagine in Texas a, a flash flood. All of a the sudden, uh, there's this rush of water that just washes everything away. That's what Jesus is using to describe the difference between success and failure here. One of these houses was built in such a way that that rush that went to wash it away, it was stronger than the rush. One wasn't stronger than the rush. What I see here is that God's called my life to be stronger than any outside influence pushing me in a direction other than the direction that God has established me. This world is filled with outside influences that want to push you, push you in a different direction. God is moving you this way. He's planted you here, and this world wants to move you over there. It wants to drive you away. It wants to push you. Those outside influences are the torrent. It's that violent force that is trying to move you from where God has you. Now, there's a word for this that I say often, and it's a word that you're probably more familiar with, and I think it's the word that needs to be introduced here for this to become something that's really useful to us, right? And I want to introduce that word now, provoke. Provoke. Provocation. God has planted my life right here, but there are things that want to move me from that place. That's the torrent that's trying to wash away these houses. Provocation, by definition, is the, the same thing. In fact, I'll, I'll give you where I'm going with that or why I can get that. If you take the word provoke and you break it down, it is to, to call out or to call forward. When you are sitting firmly where God has you and something comes along to move you out of that place, that is a provocation. And that provocation is attempting to make you be different than you're supposed to be. I'll give you a couple of definitions of that and, and, and show you in the scripture where this is a real challenge and issue. If you go to the dictionary and you just look up the word provoke, here's what you're going to find. It's nothing uh, that, that's going to be new to you, but listen to it and let it kind of be reevaluated. Provoke. To stir up on purpose. To stir up on purpose. To stir up what? Well, you'll find that in the second definition. To cause one to become angry, violent, etc. When you look at the word etymology, which is just kind of a, a, a word for origin, like where the word comes from, 
right? I mean, these words are formed for our language, and they come from previous languages or other languages. And that word etymology is uh, to, to bring forward from a call or to call out. Now, that's a term that we do use today, right? If you call someone out, you're trying to, to draw them into a conflict or a fight of some sort. That's a state of provocation. And what you see here is God's called us to be firm. And there's a lot of things trying to move us, and those things trying to move us will move us if we're not on the right foundation. And the only way we can be on the right foundation is if we do two things. Hear what Jesus says and do that. It can be a challenge to do that. Uh, this provocation really is something that we all deal with in one way, shape, or form. I mean, I deal with it. I deal with it a lot. I, I work with people, and people tend to provoke, right? I mean, they, they can have bad attitudes. They can do things that were not on the plan to do. They can fail to do things that were on the plan to do. There's all kinds of things that can be provoking, that can kind of attempt to draw you out of that uh, place that you are, are planted and that place that you're rooted, that place that you're built in an attempt to, to draw out some sort of uh, reaction that would be destructive and, and that would be uh, vindictive, and these are real challenges for us. I want to give you a, a couple of entry points for this because when you know where this stuff comes in, you can close the door to it. When you know where these things originate, you can take this into your prayer life and begin to go to work on these things in order to see to it that these things have no uh, opportunity to enter into your life and produce what is unfruitful. Uh, so provocation is always going to have two entry points, right? One of those entry points is going to be insecurity. Provocation will come through insecurity. If somebody's insecure, provocation can draw them out from where they have been planted or where they have been built and move them, wash them away. Insecurity is going to be one of those. I'll give you a, a, a passage of scripture here for your notes, Proverbs uh, 1627. It's going to say someone who has no worth, right? That's an insecure person. Someone who has no worth digs up strife. They're moved to anger. They're moved to violence. They're moved to be uh, stirred up. Proverbs 612, it says someone who has no worth is one that can't control their mouth, which is really an interesting thing. I mean, I, I have struggled with that myself. And you know what I've realized? I've come to realize this. There's others that I've, I've worked with that have heard me say this before, but, but the more secure I become in myself, the more stable I am with others. The more secure I become in myself, the more stable I become with others. It can be proved out in how I handle things verbally. It can be proved out in how I handle things with my actions. But one thing is for sure, it will be proved out. It will be lived out. It will be manifest. One of the points of provocation is insecurity. Another point of provocation is the opposite of insecurity, which is like pride, right? I mean, it's not this absence of worth, but rather it's this overindulgence in worth or this this. Uh, inappropriate measure applied to oneself, this, this pride, and it also moves to strife and destruction. Proverbs 28, 25 says, a prideful man stirs up strife. And 
knowing that pride is, is such a terrible thing. If you want for your notes, you can add this, Proverbs 16, 18. It talks about what pride produces. If you want to check your life for pride, you can look for these things. Pride goes before destruction and that prideful spirit before stumbling. Now, I put that scripture in these notes on purpose because Jesus' example of the difference between success and failure is the structure either standing or being destroyed. Now, the structure in the example is a house, but consider anything that you're dealing with as the structure. A relationship could be the structure. A business could be the structure. Anything could be the structure. The difference between it standing and collapsing is going to be this, this presence of pride or, or an open door through insecurity that leads to provocation. These things are always being threatened. Now, what you need to understand is that our call to stand doesn't rid us of the challenge, but rather equips us to endure that challenge. And we've seen that through the words of Jesus. We see that through the things that he does and the things that he says. We see that through who he is. Remember, he's the one that will bring every mountain low and every valley up. When I consider what that means for my life, everything that's overinflated and everything that's prideful, he's going to bring down by introducing a humble heart into my life. And everything that's insecure and everything that's low, he's going to fill up by introducing worth into my life. All of these points where provocation prevails, these points of insecurity and these points of pride where I'm easily moved from behaving myself as a believer should, and I regress to functioning as the world functions, all of these things that are coming in through insecurity and coming in through pride are met with a level, consistent heart when Jesus is introduced because all the pride is brought low and all the insecurity is filled up. Consistency and stability, the work of Jesus Christ in my heart and in your heart brings us to a place where provocation is no more. And it begins to make perfect sense when you see what isn't provoked. I mentioned to you before we're going to find out what love isn't. I'll give you a passage of scripture for your notes. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians 13. You'll find it in verse 5. Along with other attributes that love is and love is not, you'll find that love is not provoked. It's not moved from its place. It's not swept away by outside influences. It stands firm and it holds fast to the foundation that it has been laid upon. And for us, that foundation is hearing the words of Jesus and doing the things that he instructs. That means the foundation is Jesus. He is the rock. And everything that we've built upon is his love that's not provoked. Because he's equipped us to have every one of our insecurities healed. And he's equipped us to have all of our pride and arrogance purged. And you know, that really is what ministry is. Ministry is always one of two things. It's the introduction of something needed or the removal of something not. The introduction of something needed or the removal of something not. And as Jesus has entered into my life, he's introduced worth to minister to all of my insecurity. As Jesus has ministered to my life, he's purged the pride. 
to remove all of that arrogance so that I can live a life that won't suffer the highs and lows, the ups, the downs, the roller coaster of provocation that this world would love to introduce into my life. That I can stand firm. No matter what letter is in the mailbox, no matter what news is on the television, no matter what voicemail is on my phone, I can stay steady. What a wonderful gift to give. And as you see this in the gospel, it begins to make sense how much God loves you, that he would take all of the crazy out of your life and that he would introduce something so stable and so sane that it could bring us to a place where joy and peace aren't just illusions hoped to be grasped someday, but they're realities that we can have right here and right now, no matter what storms are coming. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us. On this Memorial Day weekend, wonderful holiday weekend with the swimming pools opening up, the summertime and the harvests on the way. I want to pause and I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and our minds, a stabilizing work in each of us. And for some, this work has been going on for years. For some, it's new. For others, it's the kind of thing that maybe there's a measure of resistance in some areas. But no matter what, in each one of us, there's room for this work to continue. And I'll examine my life, and I'll find more mountains that need to be laid low, and I'll find more valleys that need to be filled up. I'll examine how I behaved in a situation or what I said to a person and I'll realize that was provocation that prevailed and something needs to be dealt with. I need Jesus to either take some kind of pride or arrogance out or I need Jesus to put some worth in no matter what. Something either needs to be lowered or raised up because this isn't level. This isn't consistent. When you begin to see life like this, I think you begin to see the work that Jesus is doing. Where Christianity isn't about coming to church and having some friends that share the same morality that you do and, and the same ethics that you do, but you realize that God is at work in our hearts and in our minds to influence and to affect us in ways that, that produce behavioral changes, that produce attitude changes, that change the way we speak and change the way that we do. This is meant to transform us, not just because we're in a state where we need to be transformed, but because God is bringing Jesus into this world through you. And that's pretty awesome. I want to pray for us, and you're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or, or simply receiving however you choose, but the prayer is for all of us collectively, and I hate to sound selfish, but me first. I want to pray. You're welcome to join. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, your promise to continue to work in us. We thank you for the promise of stability and consistency. We thank you for the work of Jesus to bring down all of the high places and to fill in all of the low spots. Let our hearts be opened up to receive this from you. We want that. We don't want to be hindered by pride and to suffer its destruction. And we don't want to be limited by insecurity. 
We want to grow in the things that are pleasing to you. And we want to move on that road that's level, that's stable, that's consistent. And let the, the, the product of that bring you honor and bring you uh, uh, such a glory as we would live our lives in such a way that peace and joy would prevail, that we wouldn't be influenced by those outside uh, effects, but that we could stand firm. Open our ears to hear the words of Jesus and soften our hearts to do the things that he says that we could introduce success into our lives, that greatness would be the description of our life in everything that we do. And let that greatness bring you honor and glory. Let it be evangelistic, that many would see your goodness manifest in and through our lives and be drawn to you. Let us come to a place where we celebrate the stability of Jesus Christ. Let us surrender everything prideful and let us offer up every insecurity We receive the worth that you've placed upon us. By the blood of Jesus, you've set a price upon us that could never be matched. And let our worth be defined by his shed blood, that you've paid our ransom. And let there be no room for insecurity. And let it be understood and known in each of us that this is a free gift out of your mercy, a provision of your grace on our behalf, that not one could stand with arrogance. Let consistency enter into our lives, that our minds be stable and our hearts be steady, that truly this world would see Jesus and come to know the salvation of our Lord. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.